Hello, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Try that again. Hey, good morning. How are you guys? Great. It's so good to have you here. Welcome to Legacy Weekend. Super stoked that you're here. Um, super stoked to have our dear friends, Pastor Josh and Pastor Lewis here with us from C3 New York City. Uh, Going to be an amazing time all together. Um, as we get started, I just want to huge shout out to my parents who are here, uh, Pastor Jeff and Melissa Phillips. Super stoked that you guys are with us. Thanks for making the trip down from Legacy Owensboro. Also want to give a ton of honor to Pastor Ben, Pastor Dana Stamper, who are planting Legacy Lexington in Lexington, Kentucky. Super stoked on that. And their kiddos, Brooklyn and Benjamin, are also here. You guys got to meet them. They're legends also. So, um, so good to have you guys here. Welcome. Um, we're we're going to have an interview time with Pastor Josh. And before we do that, I just want us to link arms and pray over this weekend that God would impact our church in a tremendous way and leave a significant deposit that bears fruit for years to come. Is that cool? All right, so let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace towards us. You're so good. You're so fantastic. Lord, we thank you for what you accomplished on the cross, for your sacrifice, for your body and your blood that has given us the free gift of salvation and abundant life. Lord, we ask today that you would just open up Pastor Josh's heart as he shares and just pull wisdom and revelation and everything that he is supposed to impart today into this staff team, into these leaders that are here, and uh, that it would bear great fruit. We protect the seed right now. We cover it. We say it's in good soil. It's going to bear a hundredfold fruit for this church and for this city and for Owensboro and for Lexington, Lord. So we just pray your blessing over this time today. We, we thank you in trusting that it's going to be incredible and life-changing. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen, amen. amen. So uh, just a very short introduction for Pastor Josh. Uh, I don't want to get into a long bio because I'm actually going to ask him his story, and so he'll get to share that himself. But Pastor Josh and his wife, uh, Pastor Georgie, pastor a church called C3 New York City. It began as C3 Brooklyn, and now they're all over uh, New York as five campuses, and they just celebrated five years. Uh, and so God is just showing up tremendously uh, through their church. And so if you guys don't mind just to stand with me to honor Pastor Josh as he comes to share. Thank you. So good to be here. Awesome. Actually, can we do it right here if that's all right? I want to, yeah. We, uh, that works. We went to, uh, we went to True Food Kitchen last night. See? That's, it's the truth. It is. True Food Kitchen, and uh, man, had a blast, ate well, and uh, I got my moleskin journal here, and I, I, told, uh, I told Pastor Josh last night, I said, hey, uh, I'm just going to go nuts on asking you questions the entire time that you're here. I know you didn't come to Nashville just to hang out, so uh, I hope you're ready for me to extract. It's a good place just to hang out. Though, yeah, it's so. true. <laughs> Um, so I'm just, I just got a, you know, I got a ton of questions for Pastor Josh, and um, I just really wanted to start, man, with, um, with asking you to share some of your story, like how you guys got started. You're obviously from uh, Sydney, Australia, and what happened in your heart? Uh, how did God speak to you about highlighting New York City? Yeah, well, it's 
Great to be here. Thank you guys so much for inviting us to, to be here. We've been watching uh, just uh, from afar on Instagram and what God's done in the last few years since we first met, I think which was about two or three years ago. Yeah. So yeah, just well done in terms of just saying yes to the call and seeing legacy grow and, and just honored to be here. So thank you so much. Um, yeah, so my name's Josh Kelsey. I'm 37 years of age. I know I look younger. Thank you. Um, and um, yeah, so born in Sydney, Australia, uh, uh, raised in the church. In fact, um, C3 had just started as a movement when I was, when I was born. So um, my dad and mom joined C3, which stands for Christian City Church. It was started by my pastor. Uh, his name's Phil Pringle. And uh, just an amazing man of God. So he, he started in 1980. I was born in 81. My parents joined a few weeks after they started. It was like 12 people in a surf club on a beach called DY. Oh, yes. and, um, and now it's 465 churches worldwide. Um, and uh, every, every Sunday, about 100,000 people will gather in a, in a C3 church. So. Um, Pastor Phil's vision was just to, um, he thought, if I can, you know, see 500 people come to Christ and get planted in Sydney, like, I'd die and go to heaven. And that happened quicker than he thought. (laughs) And God had other plans, um, which is crazy that he, you know, it's like Abraham just wanted a son, just one son. And that's kind of the way God works. He. He, he works through that just one desire, but then says, hey, look look to the stars. Look what we can do. So I, I was I say all that to say I was born and raised in that environment of faith, uh, culture of just believing God for, for big things and trusting him. So fast forward, 1989, my parents felt the call to plant the first C3 in America. Wow. Um, and so they planted in Long Island, New York. And that church is still going to this day. And uh, they handed it on to some other leaders. Um, so I was, I, I was actually raised in New York from 89 to 97. Okay. So I did a lot of my schooling there uh, from 7 till 16. So pretty formative years. Yeah. So if I, I occasionally roll my R's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to fit in. There's a little <laughs> justification there. Um, and then my mom and dad felt called back to Sydney to help Pastor Phil again as executive pastors for them. So they moved back to the mothership there in Sydney. And yeah, so that was that. And I just had really fond memories of New York City. We'd go in all the time on the weekend, just just felt alive, even as a young young kid in the city. And so that never left me. And I, I would always try and get back to the city because I finished school in Australia my last two years. So I was trying to apply for NYU, Columbia. I was just trying to get close to the city. And I didn't know why. It was just like, oh, always this love for New York City. And, but that just wasn't God's plan. But it was, it was planted there um, for a reason. So again, fast forward. I was, yeah, got heavily involved in youth and young adults and all that from about 16. And then started, you know, uh, in youth ministry, uh, was on staff later in my 20s. And then fast forward again, I was in a worship service and, and got a really clear vision. Um, wasn't even thinking about New York City. I, I think the dream to plant a church was kind of buried. I, I, didn't, I've, I realized how hard it was. I'd seen other people 
fail or just you know train wrecks and thought no I'll, I'll just stay I'll stay here as a young adults pastor for as long as I can um, but this vision of of the five boroughs and all this stuff wouldn't go away and so 2009 I was running a young adults conference in London New York and Sydney and we took 40 young adults from Sydney as like a kind of a western cities missions trip and said, hey, let's run conferences for young adults in these world cities and just see what God will do. So it was a crazy idea. It almost killed me. Um, is there C3 churches in those cities? Like, um, that's, that's pretty audacious, yeah, right? Like 40 young adults. London had a very small congregation. New York um, at the time had a, a, um, a pretty good support base there. Um, but yeah, it ended up being quite successful and God did amazing things. A whole bunch of people got saved. So it's a whole other story. But while I was in New York in the second city, I'm preaching the opening night, um, you know, a room full of about 1,000 young adults. And I'm trying to speak and I'm feeling the Holy Spirit say, you're called here. This is, wow. this is your, your city kind of, wow. kind of vibe. So I'm like, can you just talk to me later after I finish my message? Because <laughs> I'm losing my train of thought. It's probably the worst message ever. But... <laughs> But I got a vision for New York. And um, so, yeah, that, there was a bunch of confirmations. So not, not to ramble, but that, that was like a real moment where I felt, yep, I'm going to be here. And then it was, yeah, a four-year journey wow. of working with my pastor and him giving us the blessing. He said no initially. Then he's like, you're not ready, da-da-da. And I just, I just knew I'd always want to be a leader that's sent. I don't, I don't want to leave. Yeah. Uh, um, and I'll stay submitted. I'd rather be under coverage um, and um, being blessed under that coverage than, than popping out from that. So, Can I ask you some questions about that? Because mm-hmm. I just want to stop right there for a moment. Because yep. there was something that he just said that I feel is really significant, which is, you know, I didn't want to leave. I wanted to be sent. And your pastor set you down and told you, hey, you have this dream. Yeah. from God. You were yeah. preaching in New York City. You very obviously got a word mm-hmm. from the Spirit to go and plant a church there. Mm-hmm. But then you go back, you tell your leadership that, and then he says, you're not ready. Yeah, exactly. Talk about that. Like, what was that like for your heart? Because you had a word from God. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was tough for sure. But I, as I, you know, study the word, and then I also listen to my dad and watch, uh, watch, just the pattern and the trajectory of people's lives and, and kind of, uh, because I grew up in church, I'd observe it, like, where are they now? Mm-hmm. So I'd, I, would, I would track back, okay, what did they do here? And, oh, okay, they, they, they didn't submit, they didn't surrender, they didn't listen to their pastor, and I would look at their life over 10, 20, 30 years and see where they landed wow. and then compare it to a submitted person. And the submitted person is always more fruitful. Family, family's alive. I mean, everyone's got a journey. It doesn't mean it's perfect, but they will land in, in a great place. And so I thought, yeah, I mean, the, the, the vision is less important. Or what I think is the vision. Because that's not really the vision. The, the, the vision is who I am. Like, that, that's the person that needs to plant that church. Um, and so I think we, we're so committed to this idea of, like, my vision, my dream, that we misunderstand what God's really trying to do in us. 
which is form is image, and that's what the world needs to see. But they won't see it unless the process is there for it. So, yeah, so it's just I had to get back on the, on the wheel, you know, and say I'm lump the clay back together and go, okay, you really want to do this? This is what a church planner looks like. And then I went through a four-year journey of being a vessel that he could use. So. That's a, I love that um, comparison of, like, here's a vision to plant a church, but then here's what a church planter looks like. And so it's one thing to have a vision, but it's another thing to embody the vision. Exactly. That's exactly. good. Yeah. I like that. You guys learning anything so far? That was just the introduction. So... Um, <laughs> So you and you and Pastor Georgie, you guys moved. You had did you have uh, one one son at the time, right? You had Brooks. Yes. So the year Pastor Phil said, which was 2012, he said, "Yep, you're ready." Um, and then we're like, "Okay, yep, we're. I think we're ready." Like by the time he said we're ready, we didn't want to go anymore. Almost like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was kind of our Moses moment. It was like I actually don't even know what I'm doing anymore. Like. Um, I felt so confident and like brave and now I just feel like weak and broken um, and then on top of that Georgie um, said oh we're, we're pregnant so and she said I'm, I'm not going wow. so we've already gone through four years of like forming I, I knew we were going to go but then she's like no we're not going I'm not I'm not you know raising a new baby in a foreign city without my family and I'm like that's fair enough so so now I had to lay down again but because I didn't want to go unless we were in this together yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good. Um, and so I said cool we're, we're not going to go unless you hear from God mm-hmm. and that was hard again you yeah. know but husbands lay down your life for your wife yeah. as Christ laid down his life for the church so that was my my moment to know that okay this this marriage is more important than the vision as well. So there's like, there's submitted to leadership, then there's submitted to one another. And so God like trains us, like, okay, what, what is a church really built on? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so she said, yeah, okay, well, we're not, we're not going. And I was like, okay. And I said, just do this, just pray about it. And if God speaks to you, just let me know. But if not, I'm totally cool. Like, we'll just keep serving the Lord here. And then a few months later, she came and she's like, yeah, clear, clear as crystal. Uh, we're meant to go. And I wow. said, okay, let, let's go. And then, so we left February 2013, uh, and our son was five months old. We had four suitcases, and that's it. Wow. Um, we had about 30 people gathering um, for like info nights and prayer nights in Sydney and they were all trying to get visas and jobs um, to get into the country and one night I'm riding in my moleskin because we're so hip and um, <laughs> just makes the things more anointed, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I'm writing down the names of all the people on the team and praying for them and saying, thank you, Jesus, like this is my team. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, stop writing, I'll pick your team for you. And I'm like, well, how, how will you know who I want? <laughs> Write it down, make it plain, you know? <laughs> um, and I knew at that point, it was like this weird moment of, oh, like, I, I was like excited, but then 
all of a sudden depressed. Like it was this weird tension because I knew at that moment none of those people would make it. And this is three months out from when we were leaving. And we're still holding meetings with them, but it was weird. I was in these meetings looking around the room like this, going, none of you are going to be there. But I couldn't say anything. They all thought they were going to be there. Yeah, they're they're all in faith. like, And no one got jobs. No one got visas. No one got approved. So we land with no one and our five-month-old son. And the only... The only uh, place we could stay. Luckily, my sister lived in New York, so we stay with her for the first two weeks. We arrive on a cold Friday night in February, snowing, we're freezing, just flown 24 hours across the planet, <laughs> um, and we get there exhausted, and then we sit down, and luckily they had a big New York pizza for us. Um, so they're like, welcome to New York. We're eating pizza, sitting around together with my sister and her husband, and they say, uh, so what are we doing? When, when's the church starting? And I said, this Wednesday night, we're going to host a dinner party, and I'm going to go through the whole neighborhood, and I'm going to invite everyone we can, wow. and we're just going to start there. Wow. And we had, yeah, like two people come outside of us. So it was like five or six of us <coughs> sitting at our first dinner party, and God gave us this strategy of dinner parties, which we can talk about later, but um, that's where the church started. Yeah. And we began. Wow. And so that was five years ago uh, last month or two months ago, you said? It's, that's six years ago. So we, okay. we started the dinner party end of February 2013 and launched the church in September of that same year. Wow. So this September will be six years. So through the dinner parties, you basically built a launch team. Exactly. And on that, that launch team, team, how many people, give or take, do you think were on the, part of that team? Um, I guess there would have been, by the time September came around, there was, you know, a hundred people kicking around. Wow. Um, Amazing. And there was probably, you know, 30 of them that, you know, I kind of said, hey, can you help sure. do something, volunteer yes. and serve? Um, and then there was probably, you know, a dozen, 15 people that were like really became core. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. So to give everybody kind of an understanding of what God has done in the last five years, obviously five campuses, I mean, that's no joke. That's a huge undertaking, a lot of leadership required there. Uh, you know, if it's okay if I ask about how many people are meeting uh, every weekend through C3 New York City throughout all of your five campuses? Yeah, so I, it's like 1,700 um, on any given Sunday, and then there's probably over over 3,000 active members yeah. um, across the five locations. So it's amazing. yeah, it's pretty amazing in five years. That's awesome. It's from from nothing. Yeah, from <laughs> a New York pizza. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, I mean it's it's been crazy because it is like starting five churches. So because there we're one church, five locations, but. Um, yeah, each of them have their own venues, bump in, bump out trucks, teams, staff, the whole thing. So, wow. yeah, it's definitely the grace of God because you know, I know for all of us, you look back and you go, how did I make it through that season? Mm. And you're like, there's no way. Like, I, if you asked me now to do that again, I would not do it. Because <laughs> you're just graced for it. And he kind of like tricks you into things, you know? Yeah, yeah. I believe that. So we were tricked into doing it. And I believe that. We made it. So you guys are in, I mean, you're in New York City. I, aside from Los Angeles, um, 
you know, New York is such a, a, a city of culture, so many varying cultures that are there, and then with so many people coming up who are either unchurched or absolutely unfamiliar with any form of religion, uh, how do you guys uh, minister to people within today's culture? Uh, you know, I, I don't know how challenging that is in New York, but I know for us here in Nashville, ministry to millennials or to young people or uh, just to people who are completely unchurched or maybe living an alternative lifestyle, they look at churches like, dude, this is just religious, weird people. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you guys bridge that gap and break through that barrier to minister in such a metropolitan city? Yeah, I mean, it's a great, great question. I think it's just Jesus-style relationship. Um, it's fascinating to me because Jesus always encountered people just where they're at. And it was before, obviously, the church was formed. He was forming disciples, which became the church. But I think there's, there's uh, just a lifestyle of relationship and, and a pattern of figuring out where people are at. Mm. Everyone's got a need, and we're, we're here to meet it. Um, and so I think the, the art of asking about someone's story and being interested and mm. um, being being truly focused on that person and mm-hmm. so every story is different every situation is different but I've just found that as I hear someone's story there'll be a hook you know there there's something in there that I can connect the dots mm. to why I'm sitting in front of you right now or mm. and then training our teams and our people in our church to be relationally um, driven in that way and you're going to figure out is the invite to C3NYC right now or is it in three weeks or is it mm-hmm. in a year? I don't know, but I'm going to try and teach you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, be bold about the invite, mm-hmm. um, but, but really meet people where they're at. I love that. One of the things we talked about last night, and you just mentioned it here, is inviting people to church. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, that's like a massive strategic thing for you guys, it sounds like. Yeah. And just talking to a group of leaders, like how important, how often should we be inviting people to church? And like just how important is the invite itself? Because I think that gets glossed over a lot today. Yeah. No, big time. I think God had to reteach me some things because when you're in a church culture that's already existing, which I was in Sydney, there's just certain mechanisms and uh, just the mass of people that kind of do a lot of work for you. Mm-hmm. So you, but when you're on your own in a big city, you really find out the substance of your faith. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so I started to freak out because we moved there and I'm thinking, I've got to reach this whole city like where do I start like I have no team and so I I really started to get overwhelmed like it just felt like the walls of the city were closing in on me started getting anxious and stressed out I was fighting with Georgie a lot Um, yeah I just I just felt like what are we doing here and so my my wife who's a lot smarter than me said get out of here and go pray (laughs) you're annoying me (laughs) get out of my face (laughs) Um, I can't help you. You need to figure this out with the Lord. So, so I went out, started circling the blocks of Williamsburg and Brooklyn, and just praying. You know, initially just start, just you know, normal kind of you know, fake chat with God. Um, and then something started to happen. I started weeping for the. <laughs> um, yeah, so just started weeping and realizing like 
this is so much bigger than me. And then I felt the Holy Spirit say, it will be according to your prayer and one divine connection a day. And the Lord knew exactly what I needed in order to accomplish what he asked me to do. So that's why I started, God, you called me here. Like, I know I'm called, but this is, this is on you. Yeah. He's like, exactly. So just open up your ears, son. Listen to, listen to my strategy. Wow. You've got your ideas. You're looking at this church and that church and this leader and that leader. And at that moment, I just, I felt the Lord say, I'm taking you underground. So I just felt like I, I was a seed. I was the first seed. And I need to take you underground. You're going to die. And, and this is how I'm going to do it. And the way he taught me to die to myself is, is prayer. Because prayer is interesting because he, I'm, 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 I'm doing something that basically doesn't involve me. Right? So when I pray, I'm saying, Lord, you know, whatever, do this, I need this, yeah. whatever. But he then, by his spirit, does it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to die because I thought, oh, I need to do this. I need to set this thing up and build this team. Da, da, da. And he's like, no, no, it will be according not to your work but prayer. Yeah. And by my spirit. So that was one side of it. And then the other side was one divine connection a day, which was really freeing for me. Because every day I'd walk, you know, be on a crazy subway and I'm looking at everyone like, who can I witness to, you know, like, who can I invite to a church that doesn't exist? <laughs> and, and it would be paralyzing because I'm like, I don't know where to start. I don't. And so he just took all the pressure off me in that moment. And sure enough, the next day I had my first divine connection. And my, my thought was this. It was, I was like, that is genius. God, that's genius. Because I alone, without a team, can have 365 connections this year, and I can invite them to a dinner party, I can pray for them, I can pay for a coffee, I can, I can believe for healing, I can lead them to the Lord, but I just need one a day. And whether they all come to church or not, that's going to build a great church. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And, and I don't need anyone else except me and God, and I can do that. Yeah, yeah. So... It really set me free. So anyway, long story short, the next day I had my first divine connection. And uh, we're, yeah, a five-month-old baby, Brooks. He was freezing cold. And we come from Sydney, Australia. Yeah. And so we didn't, we didn't realize, like, how intense this is. And we're looking at the other um, strollers and families. And they all have these big blankets, you know, on their strollers. And we're, like, walking up to people, like, where do you get that thing? Like, this sleeping bag thing, this is amazing. And so they're like, oh, there's this store down there. So we go down this baby store, and there's this, the owner and the, the um, girl that's working there. Her name was Damaris. And they're talking about uh, Lent. And the owner's Catholic, and this other girl is kind of just, I can tell she's got a bit of church background, but not following the Lord, not in church. And I say, oh, yeah. They were talking about fasting meat or something. And I said, oh, I'm going to eat a steak, you know, during this time. And, like, just joking about different things like oh really cool and and <laughs> and just trying to find an end and uh anyway I said oh but you, you should come to our, our dinner party and I gave her a business card um that I designed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which almost killed me <laughs> yeah. 
um, gave her the card, she came, and through her, she's still part of our worship team now, wow. um, this is six years on, through that one connection, we can trace conservatively at least 500 people that are in our church wow. from that one wow. first connection. Wow. And, it, and it, it hit me so hard the other week, this, a couple of weeks ago I was preaching, and I announced our new worship pastor, uh, his name's Ron. And as I'm preaching, yeah, yeah, yeah super, 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 yeah, he's awesome. Anyway, as I'm preaching, right, I think it was Sunday night service, I'm like, Ron, how did you get here? He's like, oh, my, my brother, Sean, he invited me, and Sean was invited by Aaron, who is the brother of Damaris. So my first divine connection I ever had from that moment when I broke down in the middle of Williamsburg and the Lord said, it will be according to your prayer and one divine connection a day. I said, church, look at this. My first connection, Damaris, she invites her brother, Aaron. Aaron invites Sean, who started playing keys on our team. Sean invites his brother, Ron, who was in a really rough place. He, He comes back to the Lord. And today I'm announcing our new worship pastor, who's just launched our first EP, he's about to get signed by a label and do a live worship project. Like, this all happened from that one moment, and that's just one person. So isn't isn't God great? It kind of dawned on everyone, like, oh, this one divine connection thing, that's, it's a thing, you know? And I said, imagine if 3,000 members all said, you know what, we're just going to believe for one connection a day. Yes. That's uh, something like 1,085,000 people we can impact this year alone as a church of 3,000 people. That just by one connection a day. And whether they come to church or not, but we lead them to the Lord. And sure enough, most people, most people come to church. They, they want truth. They want life. They want hope. And I think it's more about us being just normal about it. Like... People are just so normal, like, they'll say, oh, yeah, I went to Lady Gaga. Yeah. But if you watch Lady Gaga's concerts, they're weird. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what she wears and stuff. Oh, but, yeah, but if yeah. we did that in church, she'd be like, oh, that's weird, right? But, like, we're weirded out by church. Or, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, this is normal. So, like, yeah. just act normal in your invitation. Get, yeah, yeah. get secure in your invite. So... Anyway, a long way of saying that's, that's where it started. The, the culture of invite, the culture of just believing. And even, you know, last night we had a divine connection. So I'm always, look, wherever I travel. So we met uh, Matt, who was the waiter last night at True Food. And, um, and sure enough, we figured, like, there was a connection, you know. And then he exchanged numbers with you. And he might come tomorrow with his daughter. Um, and then you had a divine connection today in the cafe yep. for the for the black gold. Yes. And, um, but yeah, I just think it, there's so many. Here's the deal. I, I I was so overwhelmed by the call that I wasn't being present. Wow. And that's really what the Lord was teaching me. He said, "Presence will change the city." Yeah. Yeah. When you're in God's presence. You're going to be changed. So now we are the body. We are the presence of God. We we are carriers of His Holy Spirit. But He doesn't have access into others unless I'm fully present. 
And that's what he was teaching me. I love that. And look at the gospel stories. They're just one divine connection. Jesus being very present. It's not just a woman sitting at the well. Everyone else just walked by her. The disciples just whatever. He's like, okay, he saw her because he was fully present, engaged. So that's, that's our heart. I love that. I, I really enjoyed, we sort of dove deep on that last night as well, because when he mentioned to me, hey, just look for one divine connection a day, I thought, man, that is genius. That is so amazing. I love that so much. So this morning when we were at Barista Parlor, uh, and this, this guy named James, he was like, tapped me on the shoulder, and we started chatting. I was like, I told him, I got my one divine connection today. And uh, he, he was joking. He was like, you can go on holiday now. It's like the rest of the day. Um, but I, I think that's, that's such a powerful, yeah. for all of us, you know, is like to really uh, imagine the reality of, and I don't know how many church members we have. I think if we were counting membership, we could easily say 600 or so, but imagine if all 600 of the people who came to church here as members of this church decided to uh, pursue one divine connection a day. I got to do the math on that. You guys did the math on that. There's no telling how many people we can reach. Uh, yeah, somebody do it real quick. Um, but, but I love that. Yeah, 600 times 365. 219,000 people we could touch in the city uh, just by all of us looking for one divine connection a day, right? I'll take up that challenge. Let's go. I love that. Uh, something you said about, you know, inviting people to church, and, and I feel like it's, it's helpful for us to hear as leaders, is like, you mentioned this to me last night, and I'd love to hear your heart just a little bit on it for all, for all of our leaders, is be uncompromising about the local church, like inviting people to church. You know, I know a lot of people who are literally afraid to invite people to church because they're afraid it's going to freak them out. They're like, I don't want to, I mean, like, I'll, I'll hang out with them. I'll go to, I'll, like, I'll get a drink with them or I'll, you know, get a meal with them, but I'm, I'm afraid to invite them to church. Like, how do people get over that hump and maybe have some encouragement or God's heart for the local church that could help us in that sense? Yeah, I think the first thing I'd say is stop making decisions for people. So sometimes we're, we're, we've already made the decision for the person that we think we should invite. Um, you don't know if they're going to think it's weird. You just, you're freaked out. Yeah. But they, most of the time, I mean, I feel like nine times out of ten, people are like, wow, that was really amazing. Once they get there yeah. and they meet the people. And as long as the church culture is, yeah. you know, yeah. kingdom and it's it's for people and um, and you guys got a great culture. So it's like you're inviting people. You know the Holy Spirit's here. We're going to be present. We're going to point them to Jesus. Do we really believe this is helpful for their life? If it is, why are we not uncompromising in it? And why do I continue to make the decision for someone? When Jesus sent the 72 out, he, he said, give the invitation to everyone. It was then their opportunity to accept or reject. Um, but I think a lot of the reason why we don't put the invitation out to everyone is that our identity is connected to the acceptance of it. And so, he, so he, he would say, just wipe your feet and move on. He wasn't saying, I don't care about them. He's just saying, hey, there's a lot of people to reach. And we don't have time for you to be insecure about church and insecure about the gospel because you're then the blockage of the, of the flow of presence and the love of God. So, so yeah, I'm just, you got to get your identity so shored up 
inside because what if you, you, know, you gave out 100 invitations over this next year and 10 came to the Lord? Is it worth it? 100%. So who am I to decide for them? There would be right now 10,000 people in the radius of East Nashville and Legacy Church that would come to Legacy if they were aware of the type of family and fabric and culture and DNA of this house. But no one's invited them. So that's my conviction. So I'm talking to my location pastors all the time. This is Pastor Lewis. He runs my Bushwick location and doing a great job. But I'm saying, listen, they want to be here. You just got to make them aware of it. They don't know. They're sitting in their house watching some stupid Netflix and whatever. And I love Netflix, but, but it's nothing on Jesus, you know. It's not going to help them. So, so yeah, it, it's just you've got to hit it at every different angle as, as leaders and as team. You, and it's not, it's not your responsibility on, it, on your own. And I think sometimes it's like, oh, it's the staff or it's those people. Or, sure. But it's the whole church just having that heart, yeah, yeah, that yeah. culture, how we want people here. Yes. But also the other thing is just that part of your growth, part of your discipleship, part of your faith, part of it, not all of it, lives in the, in the invitation. Because how can we say that we trust God or we, we believe in him unless we're actually giving the invitation? Wow. You know, part of the armor of God is the shoes yeah. of the gospel of peace, yeah. the, the readiness to always be doing it. Yes. And so I think there's some sort of protection from the enemy for our feet yeah. if we're always inviting. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you'll get stuck. Your feet get cut up by the enemy and you get stuck. And you find all these Christians stuck in church, stuck in a bubble. Why? Because they don't put on the shoes of the gospel, which is the readiness to invite and share your faith and invite people in. It keeps you moving in your faith. Wow. Um, And so, yeah, I just don't want a stuck church. I want to be running at full pace. Absolutely. I love that so much. Um, I, I first heard about C3 New York when, it was, when you guys were C3 Brooklyn, and um, I, I followed you guys on Instagram, which, P.S., if you're looking for the most creative church, definitely top-tier creative churches on planet Earth, it's C3 New York City. No, I'm serious, man. I believe that. Uh, because that's how I found them. I was like, man, the stuff they're putting out on Instagram is fantastic. Like, it's so cutting edge. It's so creative. Uh, it's so much different than your normal church Instagram, you know, come to worship night on Friday evening at 8. You know, it was just, like, creative. You guys are doing photo shoots and videos and just amazing way of telling, telling the story of the gospel. And so uh, Pastor Banning, uh, my pastor, connected us because he was preaching for you guys. And uh, so I came up for something you guys have every single first Wednesday of the month, which is called All In Team Night, right? And, um, you know, I went to that and it was at this place called Be Electric. And it was just, what is that, like an event center or something? Yeah, it's like a um, film studio. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I got an Uber there with with our friend Junior Gar, and uh, we pull up, and we're like, what is this? Because it felt like a street party. You know, it's like the music is pumping outside. It doesn't sound like worship, so I'm like, but it is, I guess. You know, it's like, what is this? Like, you have a live DJ or something? And, like, coming in, and people just rush to us. 
you know, to like, you know, talk to us and say hello. And we met some uh, Pastor Fillmore from you guys who uh, runs one of the campuses now, I think. Yeah, he runs Williamsburg, yeah. Williamsburg campus. And uh, so we met him. And, uh, you know, you guys do that event every single Monday it's, it, or every single first Monday of the month. First Wednesday, yeah. First Wednesday of the yeah. month, sorry. And it's called All In, and that is part of your culture. And I would love to get you to talk a little bit about All In culture as a church team because I feel like, it, you know, you, when you talk about being All In with the church, the first thing that comes up is like, well, I got a family, and I got work, and I got, like, other things I'm passionate about. What are you talking about going All In with the church? Like, how do you guys create that culture and maybe even define what does it mean to be, like, All In in the midst of having a career, in the midst of having a family, in the midst of having a job, like, what does it mean to go all in with, with your church? Yeah. yeah, I think where it started for me was when we were trying to multiply dinner parties and, and then start this kind of leadership night, uh, the, the excuses would, would come up. And so out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I'd go, okay, I hear this, like, oh, I'm, I'm busy, that, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I tried to come up with just um, cultural thoughts to kind of make them think differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say things like, you know, you've got seven nights a week to do whatever you want. Yep. And I'm not saying you do whatever you want, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, give one night to the Lord. So that's where dinner party came in. Like, open your house one night a week. Every, you know, I get it. Life's busy, kids, everything else. But surely we can open up our life one night a week to really welcome people in. And so that's kind of where the all-in, one of the all-in kind of thoughts came in was, it's not that you give all your time to the church. It's giving consistent focus faithful um, passion and serving um, each week. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, if someone's a lawyer or a doctor or in design or in fashion, we want you to thrive. Yes. Because the all-in culture is, needs to be there. Yeah. It, it needs, we need you influencing that sphere of society because yeah. the Lord loves every realm of culture and yes. we're called to have dominion in these spheres we don't want to create a a bubble unto ourselves and think that we're making an impact no like uh, my our last all-in i felt lord say um was very bizarre because i'd never even met someone in our church from this company but i felt the holy spirit all of a sudden say hey call everyone that's works at goldman and Sachs to come out front and i'm thinking what if no one worked. I'd never, I didn't even know, like, if this was a thing. Like, can we just say the finance industry? Like, can we just make this a little bit more generic, Holy Spirit? <laughs> and so I'm like, and it was our team night. So I said, um, everyone that works at Coleman and Sachs, just come out front. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, there was about, I don't know, six to eight people that came out. I was wow. like, oh, that's so cool. And they didn't know each other, and, wow. and they're, like, all in the front. They're introducing each other, and I just began to prophesy over them and, and said, you know, th- this all-in culture of, like, being— and all it means is, like, all-in for Jesus, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. all-in for his church. Yeah. But you're, you're, the thing is, you're his church wherever you are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Sunday yeah, is yeah. the church gathered. Monday, we're the church scattered, but we're still the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But you've, you've got to gather the embers to stoke the fire. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then we're going to go out and start fires wherever we are of the love and the kindness, the gentleness, the patience, the joy of the Lord wherever we are. And so I said, I'm getting you guys together because God's going to do something in Goldman Sachs. And you'll look back on this night at All In because you went all in to reach your workplace. And they're, they're weeping and, uh, you know, just I think a lot of healing was taking place because they, you know, there's a lot of just pretty heavy stuff that would happen in that workplace. And you could see the women weeping because there's probably some stuff there. And, you know, but I said, no, you are, you are missionaries. You are on mission. Yeah. That was our theme this month, on mission at yeah. Goldman Sachs. Wow. Um, I love missions trips, and I've been on many of them, but our mission field is where we live. Um, Otherwise, we're just a spiritual tourist. And uh, we don't need people to live on mission for those two weeks and then come back and they're a different person. You know, you're on mission here in Nashville. Nashville needs you guys to be on mission. So... I don't know if I'm answering the question, but it's just, yeah, it's, it, it's just that kind of culture of all yes. in yeah. saying, you know, it started with, hey, I'm not trying to take every night and mm-hmm. sure, schedules get busy and then you're on yeah. worship team and you've got this meeting, that meeting. I'm like, yeah. w- we're not trying to take all your time, but you've got to figure out your level. Mm-hmm. But all I know is don't go halfway with Jesus. Yes. Yes. It's not like some people are called to serve and build the church. Yeah. All believers. Yes. Acts 2, 40 to, 42 to 46. All. Yeah. Yeah. The word all is like four times in that passage. Wow. Wow. And, it, and it's not like, oh, well, there's this, this group and that group. And, and, and again, people will find their time level and they'll find their investment and that's fine. But, mm-hmm. but we, are, we are called to all mm-hmm. be in this in some way. And if that means, if your all in level is, hey, I'm really... I'm faithfully there on Sunday, but when I'm there, I'm there. Yeah. That's, to me, that's all in. Yeah. So I'm teaching people, like, whatever that is for you right now, maybe the next step is you join a team or you run a dinner party. I don't know, yeah. but all I do know is wherever that level is, be all about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, and also the big thing with that is don't, you don't serve to get identity, you serve out of identity. Yeah. And so we're very strong on like, don't sign up if you're trying to, trying to prove yourself, wow. which, which beats people to the punch of the whole vocabulary of burnout. Wow. Burnout doesn't happen for people that know their identity in Christ. But burnout will happen if you're trying to find out who you are in that. Now, it's part of the process, but I'm not serving as a lead pastor to find out who I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm going to wreck people's lives. Because yeah. then I'm going to look for their assurance every week. Do you like my message? Yeah. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And all that encouragement, we need that. But that's not what fuels my identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And burnout pastors do that because then they put a lot of pressure on the church. The church feels the pressure. And now we're in this like thing. This, and, and, and it's going to cause burnout. So again, yeah. all in is really about their identity in Jesus out of the overflow. We serve out of the overflow. All in is an overflow culture. Mm-hmm. Out of the overflow of my prayer life, the overflow of my word life, you, let, 
You won't even need someone to tell you to serve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, you don't need me on the mic to tell you to be all in for the creator of all the heavens and all the earth, the star breather, the one that created the sunrise and the sunset, that saved you, that bled for you, that rose from the grave for you, that you're going to live with for eternity. If you need me to tell you to serve him, you haven't spent any time with him. So just spend some time with Jesus and then come back and tell me if you want to be all in, you know? So again, you just got to reframe it. And I think also is like, if I have 10 people at all in and they're all in, I know I can still change the world because I started with one. It was just me and Georgie, us together. We're going to change New York City. Now it's just a bonus that there's 600 teams showing up to these nights. That's a bonus. Yeah, yeah. But I, uh, I could only dream of having a team like that. Wow. But, but I know if, if it's only Jesus had 12, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he changed the world. We're still being changed by those 12 guys going all in. Yeah. yeah. I'm still being affected by that all in culture. So yes. I don't know if that helps. Oh. That definitely helps. Did that help you guys? So good. Um, one of the... Um, questions I have is just in regards to all in it sounds like well something that I felt when I was there at at the all in team night was like man I'm I'm surrounded by people who are very passionate about um serving as leaders and uh I think the sermon series that you were in at the time was called ambition and you gave an amazing uh message about uh having godly ambition and godly pursuits uh in the life of being a leader and uh t- so the, the just what i was picking up is like man pastor josh pastor georgie are very passionate about people becoming leaders and and that's something for us for those of you guys you know who have been you know just hearing the messaging all across this year that's something we felt like god's been speaking to us about it's like man raise up leaders raise up leaders uh raise up leaders that raise up leaders you know and um and so i know you guys have like a leadership school which we're starting in the summer, really stoked about, super pumped. Uh, actually, I've, I've read a lot of your dad's stuff, yeah. which has helped me in preparation for the leadership school. But, but when, um, when, when you're looking for leaders, when you're looking for people who are like, man, they need to be serving at a, maybe a, a place of, of leading other people, can you, can you name maybe a couple of characteristics? Like when you're looking around for people who you want to empower, what are the characteristics you're looking for in the life of leaders? Yeah, I mean, this is such a good, classic leadership question, right? Um, I think think everyone in this room would either, because of your history, would know what they need to be. Um, But what I, maybe I'll hit it from another angle, is somehow you've got to figure out who that person is outside of a church context. Wow. Um, because we're really good at faking, yeah. you know, all of us. We wear, we wear masks. So I'm trying to figure out who is this person really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's not always easy, but it's just, um, it's just being in their world and then teaching other. If, it's not, if I'm not in that person's world, it's teaching Lewis, hey, you've got to be in their world. Yeah to really see um, what foundation you're building off. Mm-hmm. So for me, 
um, Lewis made it easy for me because when it, he used to work for Delta and he, he rose pretty high, uh, pretty quick uh, in, in Delta. And so every time I'd fly, um, he would find out. I wouldn't even tell him. He'd find out somehow. And he would change my seat to the best seat, <laughs> which I, I, I'm not like a diva or anything, but I love that. That's great. <laughs> I love the aisle seat, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to have to crawl over people. No, no, <laughs> um, he would meet me at the terminal and escort me through, like, the best line in security. Then we're, then we're walking through the, the terminal, and all these Delta employees would come up and be, and be, like, smiling and, hey, Lewis, how are you? And then some people would come up with problems and, like, hey, Lewis, you know, I need this, this, and this. And he would... He'd be, uh, he would be, like, aware of me, but then, like, really focused on them. He wouldn't disregard them. Sure, sure. Um, and then he would help them out. And whether he knew it or not, I was just, like, taking it all in. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay. Because at, at that point, he was just... Uh, he was, I didn't really know him in a church context. He played keys. I, I could tell he was faithful. He'd always show up and do, do worship mm-hmm. stuff. He was amazing. But I didn't really know him. Mm-hmm. And so to, to, to hand him a bigger leadership role, say from, okay, he's playing keys to like, hey, I want you to run a location or I want you to oversee dinner parties or I want you to, I can't just, for me, I can't just make that decision based on, wow, he plays keys really well. Yeah, yeah. And he just shows up. Sure. Because now he's responsible for people. Yeah. And the people that we're welcoming in are the people from the world. So how does, he, how does he interact with the world? Not just, not just people that he likes in church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And somehow you've got to figure out mm. through, through the layers of leadership and the heart of, of your team here, you all have got to figure out who are these people? Not in a policing way, a judgmental way. I wasn't trying to get him in trouble. I'm not sure. Uh, whatever I found out. Yeah. That's cool. If he was horrible to that lady or, he, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't really care. I'm not here to judge, but I'm here to disciple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what I did know for him, which was different for others, was I could short track his journey to a leadership position based on his character at Delta. Wow, wow. Yeah. So I went home and I said, Georgie, this guy's a pastor. Yeah. Wow. And, and she's like, what? You just met him. Like, yeah, yeah. I said, no, trust me. Like, yeah. he is. And she's like, yeah, cool. Like, let's do it. So I literally got on the phone and offered him over the phone a location pastor role wow. for Bushwick. Wow. And said, come in. I, I want you to be a location pastor. So he went from playing keys to a location pastor in one moment because of observation of his character outside of that environment. So um, it's not a a perfect formula or anything else, but I think Jesus was really really great at, I think, observing people in a context where they didn't realize they're being observed. Um, You know, he talks about the people that came back to thank, mm-hmm. thank him. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's observing who, who came back Yeah, yeah. Um, for the miracle. So that, it's that kind of thing. It's maybe not as obvious. Like, you know, 
oh, they need to be teachable, they need to be faithful, they need to be available, they need yeah, to, yeah. yeah, but what is that? Yeah, yeah. What is that? Mm-hmm. Those are just Christian words to me. Mm-hmm. Like, who are you really? Yeah. And it's okay if you got struggles, we all do, but what, what am I building on here? Yeah. Am I dealing with, I need to just do the foundation, or can I build a house on him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I found out, oh, he's rock. Yeah. I can build a house. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I approach it. I love that. Is there any one characteristic that when you see that in people, you're like, red flag, like they're not ready to be a leader yet, or is this a characteristic that we need to grow out of in order to lead more effectively? Anything like that that you it's, it's, notice on the surface? The biggest one for me and the most obvious is teachability. Yeah. Your, your ability to receive correction will, will be your level of growth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you will rise to the level that you can receive correction. Mm-hmm. Even when it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you're, you're, yeah, yeah. Right? When it's like, you've, you've read me wrong, you've assumed, but how I respond, uh, and, and yeah, that, that to me, when I can, when I, and I've probably gotten it wrong many times with my, my key guys, and sometimes I've walked away and I think I, think I overshot in terms of wanting to push them, mm-hmm. but they still received it, mm-hmm. even though they probably were already doing what I said, you got to do this, mm-hmm. and they didn't go, I'm already doing this. They went, yep, okay, I got it. And I think, oh, I can keep building with that. And then, I can't, I, I, then it's my opportunity to go, hey, as the leader, I think maybe I pushed too hard there. Or, mm-hmm. you, you know what I meant? Did it and actually own that? Mm-hmm. That's on me. But I think teachability, ability to receive correction, and the ability to just not be defensive, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's huge. In the given case, I mean, obviously, you still are very connected with your dad and your pastor, mm-hmm. uh, Pastor Phil Pringle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for you personally, if there is ever an instance, I'm sure there has been in the past, like, we're going to New York. It's like, you're not ready. Like, is there anything that we can practice, like, when we do receive instruction, correction, uh, discipline, whatever it looks like, that we can respond better? I mean... Um, how can we become more teachable? It might be a loaded question, but it's just a thought that I have. You're really good at that. Yeah. That's something I want to grow in constantly. So what can we do when we receive instruction well, I, like that? I, I mean, you're, you're amazing. Like, your ability to ask questions and, and receive, you know, obviously we're, we're new friends, but, like, last night at dinner, like, you, you're amazing because you're not, like, trying to one-up me or you just like, whatever you have to give me, mm-hmm. uh, I want to receive it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's such a great quality. And that's why I think the future of this church is so bright because of your ability to learn mm-hmm. and, and your humility. It's, uh, it's really inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for that. I think, you know, <laughs> we did like a rebrand from C3 Brooklyn to C3 NYC and you got to submit all that stuff and <laughs> na- name changes. And, and so... Th- Saturday night, before we're launching on the Sunday to, to all the locations, all the church, we're pumped. Everyone's excited. We've made videos. We've got Instagram things ready to load. We got you know, emails, and, and I'm going to preach into it. And I get a call from my oversight um, from C3 San Diego, and he says, I've just spoken to Pastor Phil, and he says he wants you to hold on the, the name change. Wow. I'm like, 
Right. <laughs> and so the, the culture that we try to develop is, hey, the, the pushback is allowed, but respectfully. So I, I want confrontation, healthy confrontation because I want honesty of like where you're at. And, and so, hey, push back on me. Like if I make a decision about, like we made a decision about um, uh, Bushwick for Easter, we're only going to do Friday night, not Sunday night. And then Lewis pushes back, and I'm like, you fight for it. I, I, want, I want tension in my staff mm-hmm. because tension is what uh, suspends the bridge that people cross. Like, t- t- with, without, without tension, we're just, we're just faking it. Like, you need tension. There's tension in the Gospels. There's tension everywhere that I see where creativity flows, like, um, rather than stuff that's just on the nose. There has to be tension. So anyway, um, I said, push back and said, respectfully, I said, okay, well, I just want to be clear. You understand what that means, right? Like, all my staff, my team, my volunteers, everyone's poured out to get this to this launch point, and you're telling me, based on some political thing that's happening in the movement, that I'm going to not step out tomorrow and do this. He said, yeah, I totally understand. That's putting you in a very difficult position. So we're, we're going back and forth respectfully. And I said, okay, w- give, me, give me the why. So on both sides, you as a leader need to have the why. Mm-hmm. Like, and, that's, and so I'm, I'm trying to say, because well, I'll push back again. If you don't give me a why... I have a right as a follower of your leadership to know the why. And that only helps me. Okay, if I know the why, then I can deliver it to my church or or the team. The church wouldn't know, but the team to go, hey, I know this is difficult to hear, but this is why. But if I just come out and say, Pastor Phil, leader of the movement, doesn't want us to launch the brand, guys, you know, I'm now now passing on a fence because I don't know the why. And, I, and I'm living in assumption, and I'm only damaging other people. And so people will receive it, and you think, oh, that was a great meeting. Mm-hmm. Talked to Lyle about that thing. He said, yes, pastor, that's awesome. It's so great. Uh, yeah, thank you. So teachable. And you walk away, but you didn't know the why, which will, the enemy will get a hold of that. And if you don't know the why, then you're not, there's nothing rooting you to that abiding in Christ and you get a root of bitterness instead wow. and so yeah that's that's the culture I'm trying to develop yeah. and once I knew the why it's like this that was a relational thing how hey, we want to honor this other leader this other person da, da, da. and I'm like cool I can respect that I'm mm-hmm. going to talk to the team and we're, we're good mm-hmm. and sure enough it worked in our favor wow because we got to fine-tune some things. We were some things that, that that week we got to figure out. We had two more weeks, and the launch was better than if we just did it that day. So God works all things together for good for those that love him. Amazing. But, yeah. That's good. So good. I, I have kind of one more uh, big theme of, of, of question, which essentially is, um, is about you know, your, your growth as a church. Uh, obviously, growth is is an important value for you guys. It is for us as well. And and uh, our mission statement here is to grow the family of God. Awesome. And so, two big words that always stick out to everyone is the words family and the word growth. 
You know, so uh, there's this tension. You mentioned tension just a moment ago, but there's this tension between family and growth. And I know you guys, you have this big uh, passion for growth, divine appointment a day, invite people to church, be a part of a dinner party. We're going to disciple you, pour into you, get into all in, and then boom, look what God's done in five years. I mean, without good infrastructure, I mean, that in itself is a supernatural sign and wonder, right? For you guys to be able to hold this many people in five years, so much grace. But you're obviously, you're pushing ahead, discipleship, let's reach more people, let's do more evangelism. How do you still keep the relational culture intact? How do you still keep the family culture intact? And how do you communicate through that tension? Hey guys, we're a family, we're doing relationship, we're in covenant with one another, that's what this church is about. But yet at the same time, you know, we're not inward focused entirely, we're still going after growth. Like how do you, how do you talk through that tension? How do you structure the church in such a way? How do you communicate to your leaders so that they can continue to do relationship, but still hold people accountable to disciple. That's great. Really good question. Um, uh, maybe two years ago, yeah, two two years ago or a year and a half ago, I said to our team, I had had this kind of light bulb moment, and felt Holy Spirit say, um, "Praise God when your systems break." Wow. Wow. Um, and so I'm just going to go a roundabout way to, to hopefully answer the question. But as we were growing, some of the core DNA I felt was getting watered down um, because the, the structure and the system, um, however we're going to impart who we are of, of relational family, friendship, doing life together, discipleship was starting to get watered down. Um, because the system by which we dispense it was breaking. Um, and so usually when the system starts to break, because everything has a system. Yeah. God is all about systems. So when people hear that, they think, oh, the church is a business, or oh, it's an organization. It's like, show me anything God has ever done that's not organized. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's a system to everything. Yeah, yeah. It's none of it is an accident. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's seed time and harvest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we create after our own kind. There's, there's a system to how the whole planet works. So why would the church not have systems yeah. that, that foster family and relationship? Your family right now, every family here has a system. Yeah. You, have a, you have a system to get out the door in the morning. Mm-hmm. Now, whether your kids get to school on time or not is based on the system. Yeah. 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 And so if it's not working, then you need to go back to your system yeah. and figure out, okay, we've got to change something. Cause yeah. it's, but praise God when it breaks, because like yeah. right now my, I need to change my household system because Brooks is in a different season and he's growing, mm-hmm. so he needs some, some other things in his world because... He's not getting up in the morning as quickly as he did when he was younger. Sure. So I got to change the system at night. Yep. I've got to change. So we used to do like wrestles after dinner, but that would wire him up. So then yeah. he would go to sleep later and then he wakes up later and then we're late for school. So I got to change yeah. the system based on his growth. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, but there's good. nothing necessarily yeah. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what's wrong with my family? Like, oh, we're not, you know, it's not working in the morning. No, just praise God. You just got to change the system. Yeah. Um, and so 
one example was dinner parties were growing a lot, and every dinner party we run is run by four leaders. Mm -hmm. So we have 65 dinner parties thereabouts, so however many that is, 65 times four, so it's 280 such leaders. Mm -hmm. To pastor just those leaders, that, that was being pastored by a staff level mm -hmm. of a location pastor, but now they're trying to pastor a lot of dinner party leaders plus team leaders on Sunday, team members plus members in church, they're feeling the weight of it. Dinner party leaders are starting to grumble because it's like, oh, we don't feel as connected to the vision. Like, oh, you guys are all about growth and like, yeah, I am. But, but they're feeling, feeling disconnected. So we had to sit down as a staff. I said, let's just praise God that our system is broken today. Because why is it broken? Because it's being growth. But let's recognize that it's broken. Yeah, yeah. So something has to change. And together, we've got to figure out what needs to shift so that we can still be the church God has always called us to be. Yeah, yeah. So I, either I can say, you dinner party leaders, you have a bad attitude. <laughs> it's not their fault. Yeah. My system's broken. Yeah, yeah. They need relationship. They yeah. need to be yes. fed. They need to be discipled. Yes. How I get back to that place... <laughs> I don't know, but we know now, but, and, and it was um, a simple, simple fix. But at that point, we're like, oh, but this is how we've always done it. Location pastors, oversee dinner party leaders. Uh, I don't know what, what other step I can put in there. So anyway, that's kind of the background to then we, we said we need a coach level. Um, and so now we have coaches for uh, every group of three to five dinner parties. And those coaches are there for the care. Of the dinner party leaders Amazing. and the location pastors, yeah. pastor the coaches, mm. yeah. make sure they're healthy and pouring in, and that that system's starting to break again now. So, wow. um, <laughs> but praise God. <laughs> but I think sometimes we think, oh, something's wrong. Yeah, it's probably that something's right. That's why we say praise God when the system breaks, but don't just freak out and, mm -hmm. and start blaming each other and pushing on people and then they're just good they're just good people you know yeah. they're they're trying their best their lives are busy trying to pay their rent their mortgage trying to put food on the table yeah, they yeah. love the lord they're, yes. they're doing their best yes. you know so let's assume the best they're smart people they're intelligent don't mm -hmm. treat them like they're dumb mm -hmm. they're smart they're smarter than us mm -hmm. let's let's work together mm -hmm. what do they need where they are, and now let's form a system. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, a lot of, we talked about this last night, but a lot of people would be like, oh, I just love churches where the growth is organic and, you know, it's all just kind of, like, magically happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not much of a farmer, but my study of organic farming yeah. is that there are, organic farmers are just as structured, yeah. just yeah. as systematic yeah, yeah. as a farmer that's not. What's the difference? The difference between an organic farmer and someone that isn't under that qualification in today's farming is the products they use to grow their produce. So the non-organic uses pesticide. So the question is, are we going to be a church that just throw chemicals to get fast growth? So a pesticide for me would be growing off of guest speakers. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's good. 
because then I have to sustain that model yeah, yeah, yeah. with the next big voice that comes yeah. in. That, for me, that's a pesticide. Absolutely. Um, and it's not necessarily... I'm not saying every... I'm not a pesticide here today, am I? But... Uh, <laughs> um, no, no, but, but the, we have lots of guests, but the reason why I have it can be organic, but I'm not relying on you to grow my church as the next best, you know, oh, look who we have, whatever. Um, and so all I'd say is organic farmers are very structured, but the ingredients by which we want to grow the church is very important because how you grow a thing is how you have to maintain it. So if it's built off the fabric of the kingdom, off of faith, hope, and love, off of the gospel, there is no limit to that. Because they're God ingredients. Yeah, yeah. And he has an ample supply for whatever you need. So good. Grace, ample supply. We can yes. build off a culture of grace. Yes, yes. But law, you can't. Because mm-hmm. so law is not in abundance. Mm. There's a limit to legalism. But grace abounds. Yeah, yeah. There's an unlimited supply. So you want to build off of anything that has unlimited supply. Wow. That's good. And That's it can good. be reproduced. Anyone, yes. anyone can water a garden. Mm. Right? So I can teach you how to water a garden. But if I'm trying to say that you need to figure out how to create water... That's difficult. But I think sometimes we treat leadership like that. But I can teach you to disperse faith, hope, and love in the garden, and it will grow the the seed, you know. So that's the way we try and think. I love that, man. Uh, Last night you you had mentioned uh, the difference between building a church on culture versus personality. And uh, I thought, man, that is so good. Because you said, uh, just kind of to summarize, culture is always about character. And uh, building a church on culture is what allows us to really have legacy. I loved that so, so much. And that's actually, as we transitioned into three services, we were like, we're not even really going to have guest speakers on Sunday because most guest speakers don't want to do, you know, three services back to back to back. I mean, some would, but if they're not local church pastors, they're like, this is exhausting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so we were like, let's do these weekend things where we can bring people in, and then that way they don't have to miss church. So, so bro, you're you did that for me. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No pesticide here. to this garden, man. Um, but last question for you. you. I think you may have tweeted this. I, I could be mistaken, but you said, and maybe your dad taught you this. It was about, about people. It was, was high belief and low expectation. And that, dude, that was like a mind-blowing moment when I heard you say that. Uh, maybe it was like through Twitter. Can you explain that a little bit? Because mm-hmm. I think that's a real powerful lens to look at people mm-hmm. through. Yeah, I was, I was struggling in my uh, leadership um, when I was younger, uh, just feeling let down all the time by leaders. And I went to my dad and I was like, like, how do you, how do you deal with this? You know, like, because then when you're let down, then you, you do shy away from calling out the best yeah. in people because you don't want to be let down again. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah. But there's still gold in them. Yeah. You still got to go digging for it. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't want to deal with that anymore because I've been let down. Mm-hmm. So he said, he said that statement to me, that, whether I tweeted it or what. But he said, Josh, high, so when it comes to people, high belief, low expectation. And therefore, you're never disappointed. 
Um, your job is to believe in them, but have a low expectation. But isn't it the opposite? In our, in our marriage, high expectation, whether they're hidden or, or invisible or invisible expectations, that's probably the biggest thing that can wreck marriages. Um, uh, unspoken expectations, same with teams. You have an expectation of your church, but they don't even really know it's an expectation. Um, but then people get afraid, like, well, well, don't we need, like, a bar? Don't we need, like... Well, if you think about it, that's the way God deals with us. Mm-hmm. And he seems to get the best out of us over, over time. Yeah. Um, but if it was based on expectation, he'd be disappointed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he knows the new creation version of us. Yeah. He knows what Jesus purchased. Yeah. He knows who you really are. And so he'll continue to believe and bring out the best. Um, but the cool thing is with God, you can always have high expectations. Yes. I love that. And yet the interesting thing about God is it only takes a mustard-sized seed of faith wow. to get high expectation out of God. Yeah, yeah, that shows yeah. that he's like no other man. Yeah. He's not a man. He's God. He's yes. fully divine. In yes. the, in, and that's, so the, then it's reversed. That's how gracious he is. I only need a little bit of belief, and I can have high expectation. That's how good my God is. But with people, we reverse it. Amazing. I love that.